Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Level Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Seegers. It's good to be with you on this Thursday. If you're listening to this now, currently it is Thursday the 15th of June and some of you I know like to listen to it throughout the day. You've probably noticed that it was up. It got took down. Um, we've been having technical if, uh, difficulties. Started with half of the episode. Um, wouldn't come up. And then when we went to fix it, it started making a, a terrible, terrible racket. Um, so we're going to go ahead and switch it up. I was going to put this episode later down the line for you guys. But we're going to drop it today so that y'all still have something to listen to. Um, but before we get into all that, um, we're going to talk for just a minute about the logistics, about the housekeeping that we always have. Um, don't forget to find us on Facebook. Like the post. That's the best way to get notified is when a post drops on Facebook. You can be there to uh, see it. If you're uh, on social media all the time, if you're on uh, Facebook all the time, you can find it there. It drops there every single Thursday and lets you know that there's an episode coming up. There's an episode in the works. Um, and don't forget to find us on Instagram. We don't post a lot. We're trying to post more, but sometimes we don't, we're not able to post with work and everything else, but we try to, and as the Lord leads and he guides us, uh, we try to post something and, and try to get something at least, you know, so we can stay in contact with you throughout the week. Um, and don't forget, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We want to hear, uh, how you like the podcast. We want to hear what you think about, uh, certain episodes and, and all of these, all the different things, we just want to have a conversation with you, whoever you are. Um, and don't forget, if any of you need a Bible, reach out to us. We'd love to send you a Bible. Uh, send us an email at levelgroundpod22 at gmail.com. Um, today, we're going to be doing things just a hair different than normal. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had taught, uh, actually it may have been last week, we had taught at a uh, Bible school at Zion Hill Baptist Church in Cumming, Georgia, and uh, at the time I had recorded this for um, for a friend of the podcasts, um, and was going to send it to him. It was too long, and I wondered why in the world we had this recording sitting around. And uh, we kind of prayed about it, and uh, we were going to take this recording. It's just us teaching this Bible school class, and we're going to leave it for you guys to listen to. Maybe that'll help you too. Um, Again, this has nothing to do with me. I don't want to get what I teach out there so that uh, the whole world knows who I am. But um, we wanted to give you something, and we had this had this ready, and we were kind of thinking and praying on whether we needed to do it. And I guess tonight's kind of our sign that we do. Um, so without further ado, we're going to go ahead and go into it. We're going to uh, get you this lesson, and we really hope that you enjoy it. I managed to leave the house this morning after I had purposefully said to myself, make sure I grab my Bible before I leave, and I left it sitting on my nightstand. So you have to excuse the cute little blue Bible and it, me using my phone uh, for my notes. But I'm just going to try my best to do uh, what the Lord's asked of us to do tonight. Um, when Nathan called us, he asked us... Um, you know, just to teach on whatever was on our heart. And uh, he said, take as much time as we needed. And, and uh, I, I'll just be honest with you. I, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And um seemed like the Lord gave us a little thought. Um, and 
we're going to try our best to teach it. Um, Sam said he don't care whatever way it comes out. It comes out, I may end up preaching, I don't know. Um, but I know that I've studied and I've studied and um, I feel like that it was very needful for this day and time that we're living in. I want to start by saying this, um, and I want to ask a question. A lot of times when I'm, when I'm teaching, I like to ask questions and get us thinking and get the, the wheels turning in our head. And the first question I want us to ask ourselves and uh, maybe to mention uh, to ourselves is what does the world need most right now? Well, Mark, you're right, Jesus. It's simple. Everybody's going to say that. Everybody's going to stand up and say, Oh, the world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. But Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, the word preacher right here, what it means, it's not saying a man who stands up and who uh, maybe just spits and screams and hollers like our preachers normally do. It's not saying a man who uh, pastors a church. It's not saying a man who uh, does this or that. But a preacher is simply someone who gives exhortation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are, and, and in this sense, every one of us can preach. Every one of us should be found preaching. The Bible said in one place to make uh, foolproof the work of an evangelist. Do the work of the evangelist. Make foolproof of thy ministry. Each one of us has been given a ministry to do, and that is to share the gospel wherever we go. So that, in turn, that answers the question, what does the world need most? What it needs most is Jesus, and how are they going to get Jesus unless we go to them? In this day and time that we live in, I'm afraid that a lot of times many of us sit back, me, myself included, for fear, scared to death, uh, not to do anything. And if I was going to title this one thing or another, I would title it When the Church is Quieter Than the Mouse. How many of us have heard this saying, they're quiet as a church mouse, quiet as a church mouse, over and over again? And, Last Sunday we were sitting in church, and not this past Sunday, Sunday before last, and that saying kept rolling over and over in my mind. And the church we were at, the place we were sitting was awful quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And it was just like God took and singed it in my heart and said, when the church is quieter than the mouse. If you got your Bibles and you want to turn with us, we're going to do a good bit of reading, a good bit of flipping around. Um, but to start, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes and the third chapter, and we're going to start with the seventh verse. No doubt this is familiar scripture, and we hope tonight that none of this is new to you. Um, I heard a preacher say one time that every Christian, every born-again child of God, ought to be a student of the Word of God. And, and, and when I took it to heart and I realized what that man meant, the Bible started opening up to me. And the Lord started showing me things, Sam, that I didn't even know was there, if I'm being honest. I've been raised in church all my life. Never knew. But when I purposed in myself to become a student and to learn from the Word of God, God began to show me things. In Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, and the 7th verse, it says, A time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. 
Now the writer here in Ecclesiastes is talking about how to everything there is a season and goes on to give uh, many different things. There's a time to do this and a time to do that. But he said in this seventh verse, there's a time to keep silent and a time to speak. And no doubt I can't help but think in the year 2023, in the month of June, it's time for the church to speak. It's not time to stay silent anymore. And we're going to get maybe into the lesson here in a minute, but you think about all of these great revivalists, all of these great reformers, whether it's uh, Martin Luther, whether it's William Tyndale, whether it's... um, uh, maybe these great preachers, Charles Spurgeon, uh, Charles Finney, Matthew Henry, all of these great revival preachers that, that you talk about in the Great Awakening and the Reformation and all of these things, there was one key attribute to each one of them. And it was that they refused to be quiet. And I think we've lived into a day and time where being quiet has become so common to us that it's becoming a habit. And Sam, it scares me to death. One of these days, if God blesses me, I hope to have children. If time rolls on, I hope to have grandchildren. And who's going to teach them about Jesus when I'm dead and gone? This is a generational thing. It's passed down from generation to generation to generation. And it's time in the here and in the now. With what's going on, the the social problems in the world, there's so many things going on. I could sit here and I could talk to you about all the things that you see in the news, all the things that you see and hear on the radio, what you see on social media, all of these things. I could talk to you about these things and there's only one answer to solving our issues and that is Jesus. And the only way that Jesus is going to go out is if there's some folks stand up and say, I'm not being quiet anymore. So I want to talk about this saying, quiet as a church mouse. Now, the phrase is an idiomatic expression that means very quiet or still. We all know this, but we're just going to lay the groundwork, get this in there, and lay the foundation first before we do anything. And it's often used to describe a person or thing that is making very little noise. The origin of the phrase is likely based on the idea that church mice, like all other mice, are small and stealthy animals that move quietly in order to avoid being detected. Mm. God help when the church becomes quieter than the mouse. They want to move quiet. Maybe if we can step over here and do this, nobody will hear us. Nobody will call us out for anything. I'll just be honest with you. We're living in a day and time I heard today in Pennsylvania. There was a, a rally going on. And you know how... And I'll just be honest, we're all adults here. There was a pride rally going on in Pennsylvania. Uh, I believe it was today or yesterday one. And they stood up and they were holding their picket signs and shouting. And a man stood on the street corner and began to read the Word of God. Nothing else but read the Bible. And the police came and arrested him for disturbing the peace. This is the day and time that we've lived into... And honestly, it's nobody's fault but our own. Because we've stayed so quiet. And I tell you this, Paul himself, you think of Paul and you think of John and Peter and all these others. And we're going to get to some happy stuff here in a minute, I promise. But we've got to lay this out. I hope this gets as serious to you as what it got to me. But all of these great apostles, all of these apostles, you read in the Bible of how they would preach, even Jesus 
would preach and he would teach and the Pharisees would come at him and would try to catch him in something. And, and then you look and, and one of the ones that stick out the most to me is John. And we all know that John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, but what we don't know is that John, before he was exiled, was taken and tied to a rope and dipped in a boiling vat of oil and then pulled out. Now, if we think that we've got it bad now, I beg to differ. There was a man by the name, I believe it was Richard Wormbrand. He was a missionary in Romania. And, and his goal was under the socialist rule over there in Romania and under uh, Stalin at that time. And Marxist, uh, Marxism was running rampant. Pretty much what Marxism is, is the highest dictator that there is, he's God, and that's the way it's supposed to be. There is no other God but your dictator. And he went into Romania to preach the gospel. And he, he said this at one point. He said that they had grabbed him and threw him into jail. And there was levels above him. And, all, and they put the Christians in the very lowest part of the jail. And all of the waste and all of the nastiness and all of the dirt would fall through all of the levels onto the Christians. Because that's how they were viewed in Romania. We don't have it that bad right now. We don't have people, as we're toting a Bible, to tie a rope to each one of our limbs and try to uh, dismember us. And uh, we don't have people trying to burn us at the stake for what we believe in right now. But I tell you what, if we stay quiet, it'll get that way. Right now, while we've got a chance, it's time to stand up. Not mean, not mad, but in love with a smile on our face. For a love for the sinner, for a love for those that don't know Jesus, it's time we stand up and share and spread the Word of God. For how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach lest they be sent? You might say, well, I don't have a calling. I'm not called to preach. I'm not called to teach. I'm not called to do all these things. God give you a calling, and it's called the Great Commission. To go out into all the world and to spread the gospel. And then that verse in Romans, I believe it's the 15th verse after what we read. Not only does it say, how shall they preach lest they be sent, but it follows up with how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. I've heard a man say it like this once. He said, there's no other uglier body part on a human but their feet. And when you start telling about Jesus, even your feet become beautiful. I tell you what, there's something about a Christian that's doing the work God has called them into that is beautiful, Sam. I tell you, it's something that I will never forget. Now, this is a kudos to Zion Hill. I love you and I hope you know that. Zion Hill holds a very special place in my heart. I remember when Sam called us. We were sitting in the Texas Roadhouse. He asked us, and he asked us to come help in summer revival. And God instantly said, you go. And so I went and I sat here and I watched. And I seen people working, whether it was putting waters in a cooler. I seen people making sure fans was going. I seen people doing all of these things working. And then we got into service and they worked just as hard in service as they did on the outside. And I remember one night I sat back and I just sat there quiet and I thought to myself, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. There was a man one time, and I promise you we're going to get into some more stuff here in a minute, but I'm just going to follow the Lord for a little bit. There was a man one time, he was a preacher, he had a neighbor that lived a sinful life. 
And this neighbor, and I'm not going to get into the specifics, but this neighbor had a companion, I guess we'll call it that, and they lived together, and uh, the preacher didn't know it. And he, so he went outside and he started talking to, uh, to his neighbor, and they started talking about different things, told him he was a preacher, told him he went to church. Well, the man started asking questions. Well, what does this mean? What does that mean? Ended up, they ended up going to get coffee together every once in a while. And the preacher went and he, and he sat with him and, and he began to teach him and to talk to him about Jesus and about the Bible. And something began to stir in that old boy's heart that was living in sin. And so he ended up wanting a Bible, so they got him a Bible. And he went and he started reading that Bible and he decided that his friend at home, he was going to start having Bible studies with his friend. Well, his friend didn't like it too good. said, you're going to believe in this fictitious God. Well, God kept moving in this man's life and He kept meeting with that preacher. And that preacher kept sharing with him Jesus. And that old boy got saved. And that old boy got in church. And that old boy got to working. And, and, and all of these things, and it all led together into this beautiful picture because one man was willing to share the gospel and he wrote a book. The fifth gospel. He said everybody that goes to church knows about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But not everybody that's not in church is going to read those. But there's a fifth gospel. And it's you. People read your lives. People see how you live. And oh, I'm guilty. People's looked at me and they wouldn't have known that I was a Christian before. There's people I've worked with. People I've seen out and about. They would have never known. But if I was to live my life as if somebody was pinning it down and they were going to put it in the Bible, and this is just, just for the sake of making your brains work. If somebody was going to pin your life down and put it in the Bible, would you be okay with the world reading it? Would you be okay with it being counted as Scripture? I know a lot of times in my life I wouldn't. And I want to live my life where somebody can look at me and if they see nothing else, it don't matter if they see how good of a person I am. It don't matter if they see uh, how hard that I might work or might not work. None of these things matter. But what matters is them looking at me and seeing Jesus. Amen. And I tell you what, when they look at you and they see Jesus, all that other stuff starts falling into place. All that other start, stuff starts clicking in and it's building up. And, and when we're built on the foundation, on the cornerstone, on the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ, there's a building that'll stand there. Amen. Now, I want us to think about this mouse, how this mouse is, is stealthy and it's quiet, but it's also timid in nature. And it likes to uh, maybe stay away from any loud noises. If you walk into a room, and I can't believe that I'm teaching y'all this, Clarissa, my girlfriend, knows this. There's one thing in this world that I'm scared of more than anything else, and it is a mouse. I can see a spider. I can see a snake. I can see all this. They, I will squeal like a girl when a mouse walks out. And I will find the closest place to stand, and I'll crawl up on a table, on a chair, whatever. I, I don't like them. 
But these things, as you see them come in a room and they walk around the corner and they scurry and they all nasty-like and they get over in the corner and all of a sudden if you made a loud racket trying to get it and run off somewhere else and you got to spend the rest of the day trying to catch it and going somewhere trying to grab it, get a bowl, throw over it, and you can't catch it. They're fast, they're sneaky, they're timid, they're, they're, and they're scared of everything. But ultimately, the biggest attribute of a mouse that I've noticed is mice like to stay alone. Mice have a sense of self-reliance. They go and they fend for their old selves and according to where they're living, if they're living in a, in a hay barn, they might find bugs or grubs or, or seeds from the hay or anything like that. If they make their way into a house, they might eat garbage or might eat cardboard or, or all manner of things. If they find themselves in a dumpster, they're going to eat trash. And so they just find whatever they can eat and start chowing down on it. And, and they're just honestly, in my opinion, and this is funny, I know, but I, I, I can't talk about nobody else but me. In my opinion, mice are the grossest things in the world. But when the church becomes quieter than the mouse and starts acting like a mouse, starts getting a sense of timidness, I, I, I'm scared, I don't want to go over here to do this. Something happens and we go back in a corner or, or something happens and next thing you know we're in a different place. We just start eating anything that we can. And it, ending up, we'll eventually get to the point where we try in ourselves, whether we realize it or not, to become self-reliant. There's been times in my life I've got quiet. I've sat back. I quit relying on God and I started trying to rely on myself for survival. For my spiritual survival. And what ended up happening was I ended up starving to death. Then I'd go and try to eat anything that I could to fill that void. Filling it up with anything that I could grab hold of to eat. And I ended up filling my life with trash. You say, well, Grayson, what bad things have you done? I may not have done anything real bad but it's solely the fact that I just turned away from the Lord and started cleaving into the things of the world. And there was a punishment for that. There was some things that happened in that. Now I want us to look, and first question I guess I want to ask you, and I guess we'll go ahead and start getting into the real good stuff. The first question I want to ask you is, how does the church become quiet? And we've already mentioned it, that the church isn't just a building. It isn't four walls off the side of Highway 369. It's not uh, just a place with pretty stained glass windows and a pulpit in it that people come together and worship the Lord. Yes, that's what we call a church. But ultimately, the church is us. The word church means called out assembly. You could have technically, when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt and were called out of Egypt, you technically could have called the children of Israel at that time a church. They were a called out assembly. And we as the church, we have been called out of sin. When we were saved, God took us and He called us out of that place and He placed us over here and said, Here, I'm going to give you this. You are now the body of Christ. You are my hands and feet. You're working, moving, and doing for me. I'm the head of the body. And He said, this is how things are set up. And He gives us plain directions. Tells us that we're a church. Tells us that we're the body. 
And so many times the body, uh, the Bible says in one place we ought to be fitly joined together. And I'll tell you this, if we're not fitly joined together, and what I mean by if everybody at Zion Hill is in one mind and one accord, great. That's awesome. Now let's work on getting in one mind and one accord with that church up the road. Then let's work on getting one mind and one accord with that other Christian. And they may not, they may have differences on some things. They may be some things that you just, I don't know about. But if they believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified and are willing to spread the gospel into the lost and the dying world, we've lived into a day and a time where we just need to come together and preach the gospel and share the gospel. Imagine if Peter and Paul at one point had some differences about who they should go to. Should they go to the Jews? Should they go to the Gentile? What do we need to do? Could you imagine if Paul and Peter had to just cut all ties with each other and said, forget this, we're not working together, we're not working with one another. Could you imagine the division that would have taken place? The wedge that would have been drove in the church in that moment. And this is just a warning, and I'm, I promise you, we're going to get out of the low spot and get to the high spot here in a minute. But let's look at the first piece of Scripture. Let's look at Luke chapter 14. Well, I'll tell you what, let's start with Matthew chapter number 5. And again, this is familiar, familiar Scripture. The 13th verse, it says... You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Now remember, we're asking you the question, how does the church become quiet? The first thing that happens when the church becomes quiet is their saltiness goes away. Their, the savor of the salt goes away. And when they start having a, a, a flavor to them, I'll say it that way, when they start having a distinct... There's nothing in this world that tastes like salt. There is no, I can put any seasoning that I can go pick up at the Walmart and I can put it in my food, but there is not a single seasoning that's going to taste the same like salt does. And there's a lot of times when you're eating food, I don't say, well... I'm going to go grab the paprika out of the cabinet and use it. I don't say I'm going to go grab the cinnamon out of the... What this needs, what these mashed potatoes needs is just some cinnamon on it. I don't say that. But what I do say is I need some salt. And the world needs some salt. The world needs some flavor need something to make where they're at better. It may not change. I tell you this, if somebody gets saved, I, we've grown into a misconception that immediately everything changes for them. And sometimes it does. Sometimes they step out and next thing you know, they're getting out of this uh, terrible place they're in and they're going to this next place and, and, and they're so much better and they've turned 180 degrees. But sometimes that takes time. And they may not get pulled out of the same place that they're in, but what they need to make that place better is some salt. And if the salt has lost its savor, has lost the flavor, has lost the saltiness, is the first step in how the church becomes quiet. Let's look at Luke chapter 14. 
And if we get to flipping too much, I'm sorry. I love the Word of God. I would rather read you things than talk to you all day long. The 30, 34th verse says, Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its savor, lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. When the salt's lost the flavor to it, if you were to go to the cabinet and you were to open it up, and you were to sprinkle it on your meal, and you were to think that you were seasoning it, and you took a bite and it didn't do anything, what's the first thing we would do? Throw it away. The Bible said it wouldn't even fit for the dunghill. Wouldn't even fit for the worst stinking place that that you could ever imagine. It wouldn't even fit for that. All it was was trash. If the salt has lost its savor, if the church has lost its zeal and its desire, if the church has lost the spirit about it, it's not worth anything. Church, going to church without the spirit or being a member of the church without the spirit of God. It's like me trying to go up the road without wheels on my truck. It just doesn't work. And that's the first step in how we become quiet. Well, then the next thing we can look at is in Luke chapter 8. In the 16th verse, it says, No man, when he lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in, they which enter in may see the light. Little kids sing a song, "This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine." And I, I, I really, I have a hard time when people get up and sing that song and don't do the little dance with it, because Mom and Daddy raised me to do it with the dance, and and I'll be sitting in church and I'll be sitting on the front row and everybody looking at you anyways, and I'll be over there. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Or won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. The second thing that happens when the church becomes quiet is we let our light get dim. You think about an old kerosene lantern, and some of you probably know more about it than I do, but there, ever so often you have to take them old kerosene lanterns and pop the globe off of them and you have to clean that soot out of the inside of it. If you don't clean the soot out of the inside of the kerosene lantern, it ends up having a film on it and it gives off no light. That's not to say that there's not still a light there, but it's covered up. It's clouded. And then when those things start happening, that, those are the first steps, those are the first warning signs that the church is going to become quiet. When you lose your savor and when your light starts getting dim. Alright, let's look at the next question. What is the consequences of a quiet church? Daddy told me growing up, and it has stuck. If Daddy never taught me anything else that I remember, it was this. And he said it every time I got in trouble and every time I done good. Son, with good choices comes good consequences, with bad choices comes bad consequences. There'll never be a time that we make bad decisions and good things happen from it. There'll never be a time where we make good decisions and bad things happen from it. They don't. It's one way or the other. It's either good or it's bad. 
And I've put that and I've took it and I've chalked it up, put it in my mental note box, notebook, and I've kept it. And every time a choice arises in front of me, it's just like I can hear Daddy saying it. Son, with good choices comes good consequences. With bad choices comes bad consequences. And I sit there and I think. And the wheels get to turning. And I want us to do that tonight, to remember that. And then think, what are the consequences of a quiet church? And I'm sure now we can all say, well, they're not good. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter number 13. Let's read about King David. In a piece of Scripture that really, really lays this out plain. It hurt my heart when I began to read it, Mark. It, it, it really... it. My heart got in knots as I began to read about this. In the 13th chapter and the 14th verse, it says, How be it, he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Now I'm going to go ahead and read all the, all the verses and hit the high points of this for the sake of time. In the 19th verse it says, And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. The 21st verse says, But when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. So here what's going on in this scripture, just to fill fill in the gaps for you. David looked at his daughter Tamar and said, Go to your brother's house, bring him food. And you go feed him and and do this thing for me. So Tamar, wanting to obey her father, went into her brother's house. And her brother uh, ended up staying where he was at and said, Come in here. Ended up forcing her. And bad things happened without going into specifics. Bad things happened. All these terrible things happened. And David heard about it. Now see, Tamar, she was given a, a... dress or a a piece of clothing, whatever you want to call it, of divers colors. That was signifying that Tamar was royalty. Signifying that she was the king's daughter. And this thing happened to her, and and I can't remember the exact word that the Bible used, but pretty much she, she became, or felt just awful. Became separated. Became just separated from the world. Disconnected. And she went out and left her brother's house and ripped her garment and put ashes on her forehead and went on her way crying. Now we can all imagine, we can all guess at what this crying was like. It wasn't just a couple tears. I believe Tamar went away sobbing, went away hurt, went away in pain. And when David heard about it, surely in Tamar's mind she thought, well, my daddy, when he hears about this, there'll be justice. There'll be something happen. And David, when he heard about it, he was very angry and very mad, very wroth, the Bible says. But he stayed quiet. And here's what happens when the church and the consequences of the church staying quiet is, number one, Sin comes in. And when sin comes in, it ends up breaking hearts. There's never been a time in my life where sin has entered into my heart and entered into my life. And number one, it's because 
I let it. I let my guard down. And I didn't leave that place that I was at where sin took place right there in front of me after I had let my guard down. There's never been a time when I didn't leave that place heartbroken. When I realized that I was estranged and separated and my heart began to break into a million pieces. And then you look and the next thing that comes when the church is quiet is not only sin and heartbreak but anger. And anger comes and creeps in and folks start getting mad at each other and this group over here gets mad at this group. This person gets mad at this group. And the Bible does say be angry and sin not, but a lot of times sin brings on anger in ways. And anger can bring on sin. And with good choices comes good consequences. With bad choices comes bad consequences. And ultimately, when these things happen, it brings... Forth death. The Bible said in one place, sin brings forth death. Lays it out plain. You look in the 28th verse. It said, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, Smite Ammon, then kill him. Fear not, I have I not commanded you. Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon... As Absalom had commanded, then all the king's sons arose, and every man gat him up upon his mule and fled. Next thing you know, after all of these things had happened, David stayed quiet. Absalom took it upon himself to enact justice against his brother, and he went and killed Amnon, and that brought forth death. If David had stepped in the place he was at, David could have put him in prison. David could have... Uh, exiled him to another place. David could have done all of these things. And there was a chance that Amnon couldn't have died. Now, was Amnon's death justifiable? I would agree. Yes, it is. Yes, it was. But there was a way that death didn't have to be brought into this picture. And so many times you look and you drive by and... and God's blessed me to be able to go to a lot of different places and meet a lot of different folk. There's a lot of churches I go and it breaks my heart. I can think of a church right now that on any given Sunday they'll have five to six people and if one of them gets sick, those two or three people in that family don't come and you walk into the church and about all that's there is the pastor, his wife, and one member. And they've been in that place for so long that they have no desire, they have no light, and ultimately, if something doesn't change, that church will die. It's hard. It breaks my heart. When you walk into a place and you look in a Sunday school room and there's cobwebs in the corner, and you see a box of crayons where a little five, six-year-old had colored at one point in time and the paper on the crayons is rottening off and falling off of them. It breaks my heart. And who's to say that the same thing that happened to them cannot happen to us? This is why we're saying this tonight. Let's be careful and not become quieter than the mouse. When we get quiet and we stop, we stop wanting to do, we stop doing for the Lord, and we let our salt go away, and we let our light dim, 
it ultimately will bring forth sin. Sin will bring forth anger. Anger and all of these things will bring forth death. And then Zion Hill will be a distant memory. Yehula will be a distant memory. The church, Christians in general, will be a distant memory if we're not careful. There are people right now, would you believe this? There are people right now in this world that have no clue who Jesus is. There's people right now in this world that if I walked up with a nice Thompson chain study Bible and I handed it to them and I said, I want you to have this, they'd begin to cry as if I handed them a million dollars. I know of a missionary right now that goes out and he, he can't afford to necessarily always get a bunch of Bibles and hand them out. And he can't even ship all them Bibles over there all the time. But what he can do is he can go and bring some pieces of paper that's got some copied Scripture on it and he'll hand them out best he can. And it's easier for them people living in a third world country where they might be put in jail for the Word of God. It's easier for them to fold it up and tuck it somewhere and keep it away. And you can walk in with a Rubbermaid toe of these copied pictures of the Word of God and just Scripture on them. And everybody around, when they hear that there's Scripture in this tub, they flock to it. And they start ripping it out, grabbing two or three of them to take one for themselves and one for their family and one for their friends. And they, it, they cherish it so much. And it's so, this is why it's so important and so precious to us that we hold this near and dear to our heart. What God has given, He has looked and He loves us enough and He trusts us enough that when He ascended into heaven and the angels said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus will doubtless come again. But that same Jesus that went to heaven loved us enough and trusted us enough. Not only did He leave us with the Word of God, but He left us with a commandment. The God of heaven the one who created the earth, spoke it into existence in six days. Spoke it into existence. He didn't have to go and, and have to... And I'll say this, I'll go ahead and say this, everything else He spoke into existence. But when it come to man, God formed man from the dust of the earth. God took a little bit of extra time with man. And all of these other things, even though He's spoken into existence, when it comes to man, He breathed the breath of life into their nostrils. Yeah. And not only did He love man enough that He done that, but He sent Him His darling Son to die to be the supreme sacrifice for our sin. Not only does He love us that much, but He trusted us enough that if we believe on Him, He'd give us a job. How many times have you heard of Christians sitting in church saying, I ain't got a job. I ain't got nothing to do. I can't sing worth a lick. I can't teach. I can't preach. God's give you a job. And it's to go out. I tell you this, if my mom and daddy, if my daddy had not been a pastor or a preacher... And my mama had not been a, my Sunday school teacher most of my life. Or just a teacher at home. If they had just strictly been good church folk. And just come into me and shared with me the Word of God. 
In that moment, they would have been doing what God commanded them to do. Every time you tell somebody about Jesus, every time, it, it, I, I heard somebody say this, somebody was standing at a gas pump one time, and they were standing next to somebody, and the person across from them looked and said, it's hot outside today. And that individual said, yeah, but I know somewhere that's a whole lot hotter. And just like that, there was a conversation started. It don't take much. You just have to ask God to open the doors. I tell you what, and I'll say this too, you go ahead and grab your Bible and get studying up. And Brother Harold, you better be ready. Because I don't ask God to open a door for me one time. And in, in through that door walked a boy who was an atheist who stood there with me and tried to tell me that everything I believed was wrong. And I was not prepared for it. Because I thought it was just going to be some little kid at church. Need somebody to look up to. But end up being somebody in a whole lot worse shape. Somebody who didn't know what to believe. But you know what? I'm still praying for him. He hasn't got saved yet. But he's went from an atheist. And this is funny, in a way, and, and I've mentioned to a couple other, other preachers that I know, I'm the only person you'll ever meet that somehow managed to convert somebody using the King James Version of the Word of God managed to convert somebody from atheism to Hinduism. He's now a professing Hindu, but he still reads the Bible. But he'll look at me and he'll start talking. He said, I got reading in the book of Luke the other day. What do you think Jesus meant when he said this? Well, I got to reading over in the epistles where Paul wrote what do you think Paul was talking about when he said this? And I just sit back and I nod my head and I give him the answers that he needs because Lord knows he's made me mad a time or two. A fire's bubbled up inside of me when he told me hell wasn't a real place and I was ignorant for believing in it. Heartbreak and anger rose up in me and I started crying in that old work truck. I didn't know what to do. I'll just be honest with you. He looked at me at the end of that conversation and he said, if hell is real, even though I don't believe in it, I'll just go there. Yeah. Wouldn't believe me, wouldn't listen to me. And I walked into, I'll never forget it, I walked over there to the side of that house and started working on hooking up an air conditioning unit. And I put both of my earbuds in, I'm listening to gospel music, and I sat there on the ground and I weeped. And I said, God, I've done all that I can do. You're going to have to do something. And God said, I got this. All we got to do is plant the seed. Paul said, I have planted Apollos water, but God give the increase. And I tell you this tonight, it don't matter if you're a seed sower, if you're toting a watering can, or if you're there when the time for harvest comes. Your job, God will bless, God will honor, and God will trust you with that, whatever it may be. Now we're getting on into the good stuff. We've seen what happens, how we become quiet. We've seen the consequences of us becoming quiet. But let's look at the rewards of not. Amen. What's the rewards of being vocal? Mark chapter 2. First verse, it says, 
And again he entered into Capernaum after some days. And get this. And it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born afore. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now we've heard this scripture a thousand times. I've heard I don't know how many preachers preach this and how many churches and how many revivals. And it's all been the same thing. Talking about the faith of the friends and, and, and they, they pick up on the high points in there. But I want to look at every single thing. I want to take it verse by verse for just a second. In order, and this, I, I thought about this, and we might have some math teachers in here, I don't know, and you might be smarter than I am. We might have some mathematicians. I don't remember much what I learned in math class, but what I do remember is there's a thing called order of operations. And they'd look at me and they'd say, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. And if you didn't do, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, that problem was not answered right. And I'd sit there, and, and I was homeschooled, so Daddy would teach me, and or Mama would, t- would teach me whichever one decided that they was going to ha- help me with the problems I got wrong that day. And the first question Daddy would ask me, and I hated, I hated when this happened, because Daddy's real smart. Real smart. And Daddy used them big college terms. And he'd sit there, and he bought him a big old whiteboard. And he'd tell me to sit down on the couch and he'd sit there and he'd have this big old whiteboard in his hand. And he'd go to write. And if I messed a problem up, the first thing he would ask me, did you remember, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally? Well, no, I didn't. Well, there's your problem. Let's start from the beginning. There's an order of operations to this thing. Whether we believe it or not, that we've got to do. And if we get it out of order then nothing's going to happen. The first thing that happened in this Scripture, it said in the first verse, it said, it was noised abroad that He was in the house. This wouldn't talk about He of the lame man. This wouldn't talk about He of just some random uh, a random person that comes. come. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And I tell you this, when it gets noised abroad that Jesus Christ is moving and working and doing, there's some things happen. Alright, now watch this. In the second verse, after the church, after the people who were believing in Jesus, started spreading the word, hey, Jesus is in this house over here. In the second verse, it says, And straightway many were gathered together. When things start happening around about the house of God, and you start letting folks know, hey, Jesus is here, He's working, moving, and doing, there's some folks get curious. I've seen some folks drive by and slow down. I, I tell you, I helped it helped in summer revival this past year at High Shoals up there at Amicalola Falls. And there was a man one night when I was pulling in, him and his daughter was setting up a tent and they was getting ready to go camping over there. 
And they got curious as to what all these people were doing up there in the church in the back, way back in the mountains surrounded by bears and snakes and whatever else is back there. So him and his daughter walk in. And they sit there. Now the Bible does say that the unrighteous can't sit in the council of the righteous or something along those lines. It does say that. And they sat there until the preacher got up and preached. And when the preacher got cut loose... They got scared to death and they said, we're going to go back to the tent. When I left, the tent was gone. There was no sign of nobody nowhere. But it was noise to bro. Something was happening up there. And he had to come find it out. That's the same thing here when, or wherever you're at. If you let it get noise to bro that Jesus is in the house, these folks are going to start coming. These folks are going to start questioning you. When you start talking about what God's done in your life and tell them, hey, look what God done for me. Folks are going to start asking you questions. Next thing you know, they're going to want to come check out this man named Jesus. And they're going to want to maybe get their feet in the water just a little bit and see what it's like. Now let's look on. In the third verse. First, it's noise to brawl. Jesus is in the house. Then all the people start gathering and coming in. The Bible said the house was full. You couldn't get in. Third verse, it says, And they come unto Him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When you start with Jesus, and you let it be noise to brawl about this man named Jesus, they some needs start popping up. And them needs ain't hidden no more. And you'll sit in the house of God and you'll see that little child over there that's under conviction and they'll start squirming. And they'll sit there on the bench and they'll start squirming and moving. You'll see that person that's heartbroken that they don't know what's going on in their life and why they're in this place and, and they don't know how to get out of it. And you'll see tears begin to stream down their face. And I'll tell you this, when Je it's noise to brought Jesus is in the house, it ain't just for lost folk, it's for saved folk too. Amen. And it don't matter who you are, what needs you got when Jesus is noisy. You being noisy about Jesus and making a racket about Jesus, Amen. there's going to be some saved folk help from it too. It's fire. I don't know about y'all, this fires me up. Amen. This makes me want to go tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. You want to get Washington, D.C. straightened up? You go tell them about Jesus. You want to get all this our educational system straightened up? You go tell some folk about Jesus. That's the answer to all of our problems. And I tell you this, and before I go any further, I want to say this. We've lived into a day and a time where the church is mad at the world for the world acting worldly and the world acting lost. So many times I hear Christians get up and they stand up and they start talking about all the things going on in the world and how terrible it is and how bad it is. And yes, it does. There are some things that sicken me to my core that they do. But I have to stop myself and I have to remember they don't know Jesus like I do. Amen. That's where love comes into play. But let's look. At the fourth verse, not only have we seen that when Jesus is noised, that people start coming, needs start being released and opened up, and you can view them and see them, they're not hidden anymore. But in the fourth verse, 
It says, And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. This is where the preachers get up and begin to preach on faith. The faith of the friends that's taking the one to Jesus. Every preacher ever has preached on this at some, or talked about this at some point in time. Not only are the needs no longer hidden, but then faith becomes present when Jesus shows up. When it's noised abroad that Jesus has shown up, that Jesus is moving, faith pops up. And then when needs are there, and Jesus is there, and faith is there, and there's some folks there to do the work, good stuff starts happening. Look in the fifth verse. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And you know what He done? He stood up, He took up His bed, and He started walking. When you, number one, let it be, I'm going to say it again, when you let it be known that Jesus is in the house, and folks start getting nosy and wanting to come, and then next thing you know, needs are no longer hidden, and then the faith comes out, and all of these things, this order of operations starts working, miracles start happening. You want to see things happen around about the house of God, you won't let the church get quieter than the mouse. You'll stand up and you'll let it be noised abroad. Jesus is here. Jesus is working. Jesus is doing. Jesus is moving. You'll let folks start coming in. Then folks will stand up and say, Hey, I have a need. Hey, this is going on in my life. Hey, I need Jesus in my life. And then next thing you know, there's folks around. How many times you see somebody? You know they've never been saved. And never given a profession, they hit the altar. You may not be able to drag the rest of the church to the altar any other time. But when somebody hits the altar that's lost and undone, the church hits the ground running. And they get, and there's a noise, and there's a rumble to it. And first thing that happens, I, I, my favorite service is to get into. And I love when it's easy. I love when it hits you out of the blue, and then things just happen quick. But some of my favorite services is to sit back. And to watch the church. This one over here will testify. This one over here will go hug somebody. This one up here will go pray and they'll stand in the altar for a while. One of them services the same where the preacher's yeah. useless. Right. Amen. And things start happening and things start moving. Then all of a sudden you see needs not being no longer hidden. Yeah. Then not only is there a noise to begin with, there's even more of a noise when. That soul hits the altar. And there's a rumbling and there's an action from the church. There's faith displayed there that they know, hey, if we take them to Jesus, He will save them. And then miracles start happening. Somebody asked me one time, what, and we're about done. Somebody asked me one time, what is salvation? They said, what is salvation? How do you explain salvation? And I said, well, it's a miracle. And they said, what do you mean? Well, I didn't really know what to say, if I'm being honest. I couldn't describe it. Mama and Daddy had said multiple times that, well, you'll know this, and you'll know when you're saved, and you'll know when the Lord saves you. And, and even myself, I, I kind of realized where Mom and Daddy had come from. And so I sat down and I started studying. I've got a list right now at the house of 50 things, and that ain't even all, 50 things that happen at the moment of salvation the second God saves your soul. Yeah. 
that the Bible bears out. And you tell me that the greatest miracle ever performed wasn't what the Lord done on that cross. Amen. Harold, this something happened that day. When that old veil written twain from top to bottom, and Christians was given a direct line to God the Father. And then some things started happening. No longer was the blood that was offered for years beforehand to cover sin. But there was a new type of blood come on the scene. And that blood got away with sin. And it cleansed sin. Then folks started getting saved. The Bible said in the book of Acts, He said, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And what happened, they got up there in the, in the upper room over there on the day of Pentecost and the Spirit of God come down and they began to speak with cloven tongues of fire and something happened. Well, them old Jews down there, some of them self-righteous ones said, they drunk with wine. Yeah. What's going on with them? And Peter stood up and he reared them shoulders back and he began to preach. And he began to preach the gospel hard and in power and in purity. And them boys sitting there, them self-righteous Jews thought they'd been doing it the right way their whole life. And they, they, they were. They were. They were doing it the way God had commanded. But then they realized something had changed. There was a feeling to this thing. The Bible said, I believe it was 5,000 souls saved. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the revival when 5,000... I, I tell you, this old boy can barely handle when one or two get saved. Much less, right, they would be, if there was 5,000 people saved at Zion Hill Baptist Church tonight, we'd have a new skylight. I believe I would take off like a rocket. But you know what happened there in the book of Acts? When they began to speak with cloven tongues of fire, they wasn't quiet. They wouldn't still. There's times there's stillness yeah. in the house of God. But ultimately, as a whole, our job is to be noisy. Yeah. What happened? Them old apostles started making some noise. I didn't even think about this till just now. Yeah. Them old apostles started making some noise. Well then, Peter stood up and he started preaching, making even more. No doubt I can't help some of them Jews begin to squirm, get uncomfortable. What is this that I feel? And the needs began, became present and weren't hidden anymore. And then faith became real to some of them. Then miracles started taking place. 5,000 of them. And every day after that, there was an old Ethiopian eunuch over there got saved. I tell you what, you follow time. You, we mentioned Martin Luther. Martin Luther was saved. William Tyndale got saved. You look at Charles Spurgeon. He got saved. Charles Finney got saved. There was some old preachers round about Hall County, Georgia what got saved one time. And they poured into some young men and young women. And that young man and young woman ended up having a son named Grayson. Oh, and when they got it noise the frog that Jesus was in the house, there was a miracle took place in my life. What you do now, and I'll stand by this, I'll live by this, and I'll die by this. What we do now, in the year 2023, 
is generational. It'll carry on. The reason we're in the place that we're at right now is because of the folks that come before us. Doing what God had asked of them to do. Having faith. And not being as quiet as that old mouse. 